0: Welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast where we examine the franchise from a non Trekky perspective. On today's episode we're doing another edition of Spotlight at the movies. This is the strand of our podcast where we discuss a film featuring a major member of Star Trek alumni either in front or behind the camera. Uh, this episode we're talking about dark tower or the dark tower the dark tower the dark tower the 2017 adaptation of stephen king's magnum opus would you say matt that definitely is the film is something else for thousands of generations the gunslingers were knights sworn to protect us from the coming of the dark These visions, as you call them. What do you see? I see a tower. The man in black. And the gunslinger. They're just dreams. They're not real, Jake. There's another world out there. I know there is. It's you. You're a gunslinger, right?
1: There are no gunslingers. Not anymore.
0: Why does the man in black want to destroy the tower? The tower protects both our worlds. If it falls, hell will be unleashed.
1: He's like the devil, isn't he?
0: No, he's worse. You can't stop what's coming. Death always wins. Your world might be gone, but mine isn't. You let that tower fall, billions of people die. Do they have guns and bullets in your world?
1: You're gonna like Earth a lot.
0: All right, let's go. Okay, I need to say adaptation is putting it lightly. Well, before we get there, the reason we're covering this is it was written, or at least one of the writers to work on it, but he is credited as lead writer, I should say, first name on the billing, on the screenplay credit, at the end of the film, Mr. Akiva Goldsman, uh, now on the head honchos behind Star Trek Discovery. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe he actually hired Ronnie Rao Jr., who, of course, plays Bryce on Discovery, who we interviewed in a previous episode. You can still hear that episode uh, on Apple Podcasts. Comms Officer, represent. Yes, or wherever you hear your podcast, Go and check that out. He's a very, very interesting man. He tells us all about how uh, Kiefer kind of hired him off the back of his first appearance, where he was just meant to be in one episode. And now he's sitting there behind the comms desk forever more. Fooling us. Never wow. allowed <laughs> out from behind <laughs> the cops desk ever again. Um, but yeah, The Dark Tower, uh, as we were saying, 2017 adaptation of Stephen King's uh, series of books, which you, I believe, Matt, are a big fan of. But before we go, we should probably say today it's a bit weird. It's just you and me. This is this is. It's not, we're currently recording on the
1: hottest day of the year we're very i dripping with Yes. We're both on a race to get naked. This could get very very sensual. You're not
0: naked already? Get
1: <laughs> <laughs> away, man. <laughs> but yes, we uh Paul is absent again today for with his ongoing ba- new fatherhood. He's had it. He's had it. It's out there, baby. This is actually Liam, the first podcast I've ever recorded where it's just two people. Oh really? I've is not, that right? I've not done a interview one or a pair or anything. Good Until boys.
0: your inevitable 50 uses for the word love. We shall okay. see. Uh, this is our friend Stephen Trumbull's uh, new podcast, 50 uses for the word love. Oh, I say new. I mean, he's been going for a good couple of months now. It's come it? to come towards the back end of season two, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, of course, has appeared on Spotlight about three times. Stand-up comedian um, and Star Trek fan. Uh, I actually recently went on his podcast where everyone who goes on discusses different aspects of the word love I went on to talk about allegiance and talked about my great grandfather Frank Dempsey who was heavily involved in the struggle for Irish independence uh, back in the day and uh, yeah yeah. really really fascinating listen and
1: uh, any cat lovers out there will be welling up from the anecdotes <laughs> towards the end regarding
0: Liam's old lovely cat Jess. I've heard <laughs> saying that my great-grandfather was a cat. Like, <laughs> yeah. The two are linked. <laughs> re- revelation. Um but yeah no we definitely recommend that podcast. It's really good. There's been some great guests on there. William Stone who was previously on the podcast, Greg Locke who's been yep. on Spotlight twice. Gen Ives. Uh Gen Ives. Yeah, so we big crossover of guests um between Spotlight and Fifty UCs for the word Love. He's also had uh, Jordan Gray on otherwise known as Tall Dark Friend um, she was great on there so it really is definitely worth checking out that one really really recommend it um, we are about to go and see our friends for another podcast the Sun Double Deep crew they're recording their three year birthday celebrations mm-hmm. um, we're going to go down to that afterwards if you are a film fan you haven't checked out Sun Double Deep it's an amazing podcast We were lucky enough to have Daryl and Jeanette on a recent episode of Spotlight talking about the 2000 X Men film. And yeah, I I can't recommend that. These guys are all fantastic.
1: They're all part of our crew. They'd be on the bridge with us if we could form a super group.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our our very own podcast, our very own United Federation of Podcasts. Um, but yeah, so no Paul today, it's just me and Matt, so this is, I don't think we've ever recorded an episode of Spot Club with just two people. No, before. that's it. It's always even, there's only one episode. Because if up, one of like, us is missing, there's a guest. Yeah, there's yeah. only ever one ever episode that you haven't been on, mm-hmm. uh, which was the Morality of Trek with David Chumble when yep. he came on as the guest, <laughs> it was just me and Paul um you're currently if if our appearances
1: were listed imdb style with episode, you'd be at the be top
0: be at the fucking top I haven't missed one yet. i'd be the akiva right there at Got, the fucking top. if it was just me pulling the guest to an episode i don't know how we'd manage uh, amongst all the other writers on this film as i say also credited are jeff pinkner and anders thomas jensen and of course the director nicolaj arcel what was it he directed before this it was a big
1: thing i can't remember now but it was oh, oh wait no yeah. yes i can that's a lie it was a royal affair with Matt mickelson oh which i absolutely loved a really yeah, it's real great affair. yeah really and that's good why we all film.
0: thought this was gonna be good yes <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> i remember this i mean the the this is the crazy thing like we're obviously going to get into it but when this film was coming out two years ago and it became apparent that it wasn't good i remember thinking it's insane if you'd said to me a few years ago That there would be a Dark Tower film, finally, and a brand new It that looked amazing coming out within a month of each other. And I'd be more excited for It, I'd have been like, you're mad. Because my history of this saga goes back uh, about 10 years now. And yeah.
0: Because you're a big Stephen King fan and this is your favourite King thing. Yeah.
1: So my kind of a bridge history of these books is big King fan. And then about 10 years ago, when I first moved to London, I can't remember what it was I saw that... Reminded me of it. There's a there's an Easter egg of the Dark Tower in The Mist, in which the main character, Star, is drawing a picture of Roland, the main character from the Dark Tower, because he's uh, meant to be basically... Uh, he's that, meant that to be isn't yes. like, yeah, and, yeah. and it is a Struzen picture. Um, so I started hunting down these books. So there's seven books in this series. The first one uh, from The Gunslinger, from 1982, one of King's first books. He then picks the series up in 8-7 with the drawing of the three... And then there's two more in the 90s, and then he kind of rush finishes it in the early noughts. Between 2003 and four. he does the final three the books. The early
0: noughts? The early noughts. The noughties? Yeah, but the early noughts. It doesn't. You've heard the noughties later. Wait, yeah. It's the noughties from the start. This, what are you this about? is a phrase, the early
1: noughts. Not a real thing. Go on. Early noughties. <laughs> Get out of here. So seven books, seven uh, seven books, and it's it's this wondrous saga, and I and I went on my wondrous wondrous saga. I don't know my own quest to find these because for some reason I got obsessed with getting the same book in the same uh, with the same like covers from the same series because it's been re-released so many times, mm, mm, a lot of variant mm. covers, and I was trying to. Share- the internet.
0: Get out. <laughs> I was, I, was try-
1: I got obsessed with trying to find them purely through charity shops be- because oh, I went into man. one and there was about four in a row and I grabbed them all and ironically enough it was my quest for the last book The Dark Tower itself that eluded me for so long that I did just get a new one for my birthday and then immediately found it in the charity shop <laughs> the next day so there we go
0: Oh, it's so at the end. <laughs> at the end of your quest. End of my quest. <laughs> I was just thinking how it relates. So you now. got the book, so then you read. it. <laughs> <laughs> end. Well,
1: getting into the differences between the book and the film, which is going to be a lot of what I'm going to be sort of chatting about, is you know, at its heart, this is a quest film. Like it's it's like it's Stephen. It's King's, a quest film, yeah. It's Stephen King's Lord of the Rings, essentially, and you don't quite, I imagine, get a sense of that from this movie, which is a very truncated. 84 minute long thing which kind of leaps in thing it leaps you can't in can't even call it a film it kind of leaps in towards the end touches on a few things has almost nothing recognisable from the actual story well
0: explain what this film's about and try and contextualise it a little bit for people who don't know if people who have only seen the film because some people a lot of people I'm sure have only seen the film or may even be watching the film because we're covering it yeah. on the episode sorry uh- <laughs> yeah so give us a little bit of context for where what this is about and kind of how it fits into the the
1: yeah well in its in its most basic form it's a kind of sci-fi fantasy horror amalgamation in which uh at the center of all known existence in the universe is this structure called the dark tower which kind of holds every dimension in place so it's working parallel worlds parallel times and there's a certain world called mid-world which is kind of like a twisted old western style era world which has since fallen into ruin. So it's kind of at the end of its life cycle, it's kind of falling apart when the books start. And in the movie, it's basically this conflict between the last gunslinger called Roland Duchesne, played by Idris Elba, who is kind of the last of his line of a mythical like band of like mercenaries and outlaws. Mythical band. Mythical band. Any any big hits? (laughs) (laughs) And it's his conflict with this wizard known as the Man in Black who takes many forms across all of Stephen King's work. So Randall Flagg in The Stand, it's him. Uh, The Man in Black in this, it's him. He, He pops up here and there. He kind of spirals out. And this series is kind of the linchpin to Stephen King's entire collective so a lot of his books all take place in this same world maybe different realities but they all kind of cross over um but again back to its basic form it's basically this kind of quest with roland trying to reach the dark tower to save it and the man in black is trying to bring it down to bring darkness in and the film kind of takes that idea at its most basic and just tries to tell it very quickly and yeah for reasons we'll get into i mean Roland's entire, his version of The Fellowship, there's only two out of the five in this film. And this is where the adaptation of the book series is tricky because as a book series, no one book really exists on its own. It is meant to be kind of read as a series, even though they came out across many years. Like even part one. Yeah. In
0: terms of like, you couldn't say you make part one as a film and then just go, right, well, now we'll hopefully make a sequel. That's
1: the difficulty because book one is basically on its bare bones just Roland chasing the man in black, meeting Jake and setting up the rest. So the two... two but
0: that them, sounds like this movie. Yeah, but they kind of do that and then skip to the end in one film. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, they, they yeah, they get to what seems like the end of this chapter of the yeah. story. Like It seems like at the end of this film that there could definitely be a sequel... But, like, not in terms... But the main threat of, like, the man yeah. in black if is if this gone. film
1: wanted to set up a sequel, it should have just ended with, you know, Roland and Jake going on. But this whole other thing. Basically, the two of the main characters from Roland's group, known as the Cartet in the books, is this guy called Eddie and this woman called Susanna, this kind of paraplegic woman who has split personality. Um, so that the four of them form a team, <clears throat> and they're not introduced until book two. So that's where it becomes tricky. It's like, do you... In making a film adaptation, do you kind of do book Condense one and two, two books, into yeah, one so end. that you can introduce your main characters at the start, which makes a lot of sense. That's where this doesn't quite work.
0: So let's get into I, it. I'll jump in as we go. Yeah, sure. Further. Let's yeah, let's yeah. just get into it from the start. I would say. Um, so first of all, should we just spoilerize in terms of did you like this or not? Uh, yeah, let's do that. No. Okay. You did <laughs> like it. No, there there are elements I like. Okay.
1: Uh, but or I think I think as a film, it's very rough, uh, and as an mm-hmm. adaptation, it's a disaster. Do you think it? Yeah. Do you think it's a better film than it is adaptation?
0: Yeah, as far as that goes. Yeah, because I got a similar feeling. Like I haven't read any of the books. Yeah. So this film to you, how much of it made sense? It ma- made total to- sense. Okay. Like in terms of literally, as I
1: thought it <laughs> wouldn't on the baseline of this is what they're trying to do. This yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Way. Because
0: yeah. I I genuinely thought it wouldn't make sense because obviously this is a film that had a pretty awful reception and was known for being, you know, an adaptation of a very complicated set of novels and something that you felt had probably been uh, kind of pulled apart on the cutting room floor as well. Mm-hmm. So from what reviews are in and stuff, it sounded like it would be quite incoherent. yeah. When I watch it, I didn't think it was. I thought in terms of when I watched this, what I thought was I completely understand this and not like, you know, uh, I didn't I didn't actually think it was incoherent. I thought it was reasonably well told in very, very broad strokes. Yeah in terms of for me, it. what it what I could tell was, because of things you've told me about the series, and because of the fact that it's what seven books are you saying? Mm. Seven book thing, that I was like this feels like someone has taken a seven book massive series that's probably quite complicated and knotty and dense and distilled it down to its absolute basest elements Mm. into a really short truncated um version like, almost like the the children's storybook version yeah of like the dark tower like as in you you felt like you open it up and it's like you know it was just eight pages with, yeah, a, little, yeah. with a picture and go like really because for me i thought it was so if that was their intention just tell an incredibly simplified mm. version of this story which just comes across as a very standardized fantasy adventure then I think it actually works for what it is to a certain degree. I think the problem is if you have any knowledge, even as someone who hasn't read the books, who has no emotional investment, there's a, the a bigger books, picture. Out there, but yeah. I know that there's a bigger thing. So for me, as like someone who has written scripts and stuff in the past, when I watched this, I could very much tell that I was going. This is clearly something that's going like really boiling this down. And I could tell that if I was a fan of the books, that I'd hate the film. Yeah. And would go like, oh my God, you've just literally ripped the heart out of everything. It reminded me of um, the Harry Potter film adaptations, where um, I, when I saw the films originally, well, like first six or whatever, I hadn't read the books. And... I watched those films, all thought they were very just kind of average, fair, not awful, just kind of, yeah, fine. But I because I had no real investment in, yeah, the, yeah. in the books at all. And then I happened to read the first seven books um in literally about two month period, like ran through them. I loved the books, thought they were absolutely amazing. And then when I went back and watched films, saw how shit they were in terms of as adaptations. In terms of cutting so much out, oh. whole characters like gone. And for me, I was like, wait, that no longer I... makes sense because this and that. And it felt like that to me in terms of you've... But even more so because oh, yeah. obviously the Harry Potter books, as excellent as they are, and I think they are excellent are written as kind of children's or young adult books. So in terms of even though they're standalone episodes, yeah, there's, there's very you know, good part. deep characters and rich themes, but you know, in something like Dark Tower, which is written for adults, there's gonna be you know, it's yeah it's gonna be more dense. Yeah. So I was like this clearly is like an ultimate take on that where they really have just ripped everything out and gone right, what are its absolute core elements is about good versus evil. That's yeah. it. That's a good point, and but
1: even the problem there is the core they've reduced it to isn't even what the story is actually kind of about, right? Okay. And the Harry Potter analogy is actually pretty interesting because that's seven book series. Yes. So Very um, true. the equivalent would be if there was a Harry Potter film, one film. Yes. It yeah. was eighty four. It was eighty four minutes long, and in, in it, Harry maybe met Ron. Hermione is not in the books at all. Uh, most of the characters aren't in the books. He kind of trundles along for a bit, learns some magic. It's just Harry and Hagrid. Yeah, it's Harry and Hagrid. Hagrid, Yeah, Yeah, no Ron, no Hermione. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because Ron and Hermione are the equivalent of Eddie and Susanna from the books, basically. Right. So that Ron and Hermione are gone, he just kind of trundles along, does a bit of magic stuff that doesn't happen in any of the books, and then fights Voldemort and still doesn't quite win or end or anything. And that's Harry Potter the movie. Yeah, that's the equivalent because it's just
0: insane. Um, so let's 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 go into it right from the start. So, and we'll go through and we'll come up with the various kind of yeah. issues as we go. So, opens with this kind of. Now, I found the opening quite interesting because, to me, as someone who's uh, studied editing and stuff at university. I was like, this is clearly a longer sequence that has been cut down. And th- this happens quite a lot in the film. I sure thinking. it is. Yeah. I think there's quite a lot of... I'd be interested to see how long the rough cut of this movie was. Like, there's quite a lot of scenes where I feel like this is a longer sequence that you have now cut down to make really, really short. And... weirdly I actually think the opening is quite effective like in terms of like you get like the creepy skin people you get the dark tower you get the man in black kind of appearing out of the shadows it's McConaughey obviously he's someone who has a physical presence (laughs) and straight away I was like okay I think that's actually quite a cool stylish opening kind Mm. of thing like you know Um, then they shoot a child into the dark tower Okay. And they like they like they like catapult a child. <laughs> like it's like I like, love that. That's like what you felt. Well, well that's what it looks like. Yeah, it, it, it like is they're it looks like. <laughs> they are like going right shoot this fucking kid. It's <laughs> and like the man of black's like, oh, yeah. bring this dark tower down with these shoot these kids. And do okay. It.
1: <laughs> okay. So here, here's a strange thing. So all this kind of stuff you're seeing is basically final book stuff only. Right. Okay. So just skimming everything. Yeah. Basically, find And the idea the the dark tower itself in the books is like. This mythical place, you never quite see it because the whole point of the books is you're journeying to it. And they just show it straight away here. It's like mystery over, so like yeah, great. Yeah, Even yeah. the
0: caption at the start tells you what it is. Um, well, yeah, they have a they have a kind of classic opening caption of a fantasy film, don't they? Go this yeah. explaining the and, concept. Yeah, and
1: with something that's as weird as the Dark Tower, I think you're even better off skipping any kind of opening explanatory captions and just being like, you're going to be confused for a while, but you'll get there.
0: But, oh, I'm glad. But that when, was that but, but was when there's yeah, when, when
1: there's no time and they're only doing one film, there's no time. Although so, I do
0: think Elba gets a bit of exposition corner at one point. Doesn't yeah. He? yeah. Oh yeah, but it, 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 it does, does pop up
1: every now. Um so what's happening is basically the Dark Tower is supported by six beams. So you see them a little bit. They're kind of very translucent looking, like spokes of a wheel. Right. So you kind of see them. And what the man in black is doing is he's he's using kids who have psychic powers. Well, they have the shining from the shining. Yeah. Uh, that same psychic yeah. power. They can use that psychic power to break down the beams. And if they take all the beams out, the dark tower will fall down. Mm. And the kind of truncated plot of the film, not the book is that they figure out, oh, Jake's the strongest psychic. so if we use him, he can take the tower down himself and bypass everything. Like, none of that right. is really a thing. So it's so so it, the
0: thing where they looks like they're shooting kids into the tower, actually, that's like high energy scenes, coming out energy. of their head. Yeah, yeah. But in the film, it makes it look like they've just shot... Because <laughs> it, it does the, the effect that they do to show that the stuff is kind of there makes it look like they've just been shot out. And literally McConaughey's just watching like, <laughs> here we go. She I mean, Jesus, it. maybe that's what was going on. <laughs> Who knows?
1: But yeah, so yeah, their goal is to break down the beams, which take down the tower. Um, but this is all stuff that in the books they, they come across and visit this kind of facility, literally final book,
0: pretty much. Okay, it's crazy. cool, cool, it's crazy. cool. It's insane. And so, yeah, you were mentioning they, the kids have the shine, which is a thing for the shining. Yeah, so in the books and... as well,
1: I don't think it's all kids,
0: it's just people called breakers who have the, right. the ability, and they're all kind of corralled at this place, yeah. Like this, uh, yeah, the kind of kids element uh, makes it almost feel like a bit of a YA Kind yeah. of like thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. like I and mean, does. I uh, watching this, I felt like he did feel a little bit, a little bit YA, like a kind of, um, Hunger Games, Maze Runner kind of yeah. like level kind of thing, like because yeah. you know it's a twelve A, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. Like you know, it's obviously pitched at that yeah. kind of thing.
1: So the next kind of prob- problem for me, it kind of makes sense in an adaptation world, is that they posit Jake as the audience surrogate character. You yes. you learn everything yeah, through Jake. Yeah, you start yeah. with him. The books, it's all about Roland. Jake's someone he comes across. It's Roland's story, and to make it Jake's is kind of strange. And the reason is that, you know, Roland's undying. Like he's not really trying to protect the tower in the books. He's just trying to get there. He's like obsessed with his whole life to try to reach it, to do whatever. And
0: that. Well, is it the same in um, the books that he wants revenge on the Man in Black? Yeah, yeah, yeah really? that's the same because he he
1: killed his uh, he killed his uh, you know stuff in the past. He uh, killed his dad. Um, is that that's Dennis Aceberg yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but the whole like drive of the books is Roland and his quest for the tower so the whole moral complexity of the book series hinges on what he will do to reach it so in the first book this isn't really a spoiler in the first book he comes across Jake who has died in our world forget
0: spoiler I mean I, I think we you know, yeah. Not I, I, I we to spoil the fuck out of the film and the books and everything. yeah
1: well, I'll try not to go too deep in books okay. this, is, this is book one um so he comes across Jake and they kind of bond on their journey. And then mid like two-thirds through the first book, he reaches this choice where they're going through the, like the mountainside and it's been prophesied that he will like leave Jake behind for the tower. And there's a bit where he's falling and he's, he catches Jake and then Rowan decides to just let Jake go and die so he can carry on to the tower. And then later on through multiple world shenanigans jake does come back right but it's this whole thing of like you chose to do that at the start and it kind of was the first in
0: book where he does that yeah yeah first book uh, where he book lets kind. jake
1: die because the tagline for the movie is there are other worlds than these which is a truncated line that he says at that point so in the point in the book where jake's falling down a chasm he's holding on to him and jake kind of looks up at him realizes he's going to fucking sacrifice him for the tower and goes Gone on then there are other worlds <laughs> than these and like lets him go um so but anyway, by, by by following Jake in the movie, it kind of makes sense, does make it very YA-y, but it kind of I don't know, it's just not nowhere near as compelling as what Roland can offer. And yeah, it spends way too much time, especially at the start, doing stuff like I always say there's three laziest forms of exposition, right? It's newspaper clippings, there's some of these here, yeah. or or TV reports uh opening text captions which done wrong could just be lazy dream vision uh dream visions yeah uh, and also shrink scenes so there's always oh, right. like psychiatrist scenes at the beginning of many films or bad scripts that you look at where it's just somebody vaguely chatting through their problems and set stuff up and this you know opens with a shrink scene going like
0: oh it's a dream here's a bunch of exposition tower tower tower
1: and it's yeah i don't know
0: yeah, yeah. Well, and also has uh, the reason I made it, Dream Vision like the fir- the way we're introduced Jake because we see the dreams yes. visions he's having in his head, mm-hmm. which obviously again tell us that he's linked to the tower. Mm. And from like, should I tell you the film this film most reminded me of? Last Action Hero. Oh right, okay. Like, yeah, yeah. Literally, yeah. it's so similar. Like when I started to watch it, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> this is really like Last Action Hero with them. I mean with them kind of crossing the world, as in the kid goes into the other world. So in Last Action Hero, the yeah. kid goes into the movie world with populated by uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character. And then he brings Arnold Schwarzenegger's yes. character back into the real world because the bad guy, Charles Dance, has gone into the real world. He's now causing havoc. So he has to bring Arnold Schwarzenegger back with him into the real world to stop him, which is exactly what happens in this film, is that McConaughey goes in as the Man in Black goes into the real world, the real world is now in danger, They and he takes Elba into mm. uh, the real world with him. He's, and, and he has, like, moments to the parent, all, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. It literally is really fucking similar. Like, so I... and But the thing is, I was watching it thinking that. At the same time, I was thinking being that I know what you told me about the books so I was like this clearly is I don't think Stephen <laughs> it's King not just the when he hero when was he was writing this book ever thought I'm writing last action hero the novel series so you know that's clearly a, not a good thing it was much as I love last action hero yeah See, it's crazy. The amount of
1: kind of book, like touches on the book they try and cram into the film, but out of context and make no sense, just made me mad. So, like, the book, the first Dark Tower book, famously in literature, it's one of the most famous opening lines, which is The Man in Black Fled Across the Desert and The Gunslinger Followed. So, I was thinking, if you're going to open the Dark Tower movie, it has to be with that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is a good line.
1: And it, yeah, and it doesn't...
0: Well, you you, that should have been the opening text. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, That should have been the opening text. You hear it whispered by somebody at some point. I think it's at the end of one of Jake's visions. You hear right. someone say it. Someone, Rando, just saying it makes no sense. And so the way we are introduced to Roland in this film is just randomly in the middle of a flashback when it's like, who's this guy? It's like, it's so enigmatic for one of the most iconic kind of characters there are. Yeah. Because he is meant to be, like... The, Roland was based on, like, Clint Eastwood's Man of No Name. That kind of stoic, Western... Yeah, I can, I can see that. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, Once Time in the West, all these films that we love. Yeah, like, yeah, the yeah. way you can introduce those heroes...
0: Oh, visually, a, he's yeah. totally... This he's just totally like, oh,
1: oh, here we go. We're just in the middle of a flashback. Here's this guy. It's like, like, ugh.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the way that Elba's character is introduced is very kind of haphazard like that really felt like a scene so we're introduced to Idris Elba's gunslinger character uh alongside his father mm-hmm. played by Dennis Haysbert present yep. from 24 and that scene really felt as if there must have been more that ended up on the cutting room floor like there must have been more of Dennis Haysbert because he well, literally is yeah. he appears and he dies like instantly.
1: Or it's like it's following the aftermath of the battle and they had no intention of making it because it wasn't in the
0: budget or something. Feels well, like that. you know, surprisingly, I was surprised by kind of not low budget because it's not low budget in any way. But I would say that one of the reasons I compared it to YA films is because first YA films uh, like Maze Runner, Hunger Games tend to be quite mid-range budget in terms of they're not spending like 300 million on mm. things like those first uh, young uh, adventure, young adult uh, films. Uh, this was made for about, I think, 68 million, something like that, which for modern blockbuster is quite, yeah, it's yeah. reasonably mid-range and quite, uh, and quite low. And so I felt like it felt like that in terms of when I saw that was the budget, I was like really surprised in terms of you feel like, you imagine like a Lord of the Rings style like, epic, like, budget, like, film being made. And whereas I was like, oh, that actually feels like they were going, oh, yeah, we, we're taking a potential risk on this kind of book series that maybe hasn't got, like, the cash out. Yeah, that's the problem. Way. I think it just wasn't
1: given a fair shot out the gate. They were making it going, eh, we don't really have the confidence to give it a lot of money, give it a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because yeah. cause in script form, the film exists on script form before they've made it. And the script of this movie doesn't allow for like part twos or threes in an organic way it just feels like they tried to do the truncated single version hint at bigger pictures and none of it really works like this thing i I actually quite like the look of the world in this Mm. but the world built
0: yeah i think it looked all right like when i saw i mean i haven't as i say, i haven't read the books but i've seen artwork uh, in, uh, around the books and inspired mm. by the books, because obviously it got uh, adapted into comics. Yeah, um, comics, by yeah. Marvel, um, and I think Paul Jenkins uh, was the writer yeah. who adapted those. They're in, and- they're
1: in canon. Stories from Rowan's past and all sorts. So oh, all, all are they? Are they then, not
0: yeah. like straight adaptions? No, no, no. Kind of like, right, okay, yeah. Because most I, of them are prequels. I yeah. remember the first. I remember the first one coming out because Marvel made a big song and dance the fact that they got Stephen King officially on board with those comics, because yeah. it wasn't just a case if they'd optioned. I think he was officially involved. Although the scripts were written by Paul Jenkins, he was very much like behind them. And the first miniseries they published is just called The Gunslinger. Yeah. Um, which is presumably that is a kind of spin-off. Yeah, movie. I might be wrong. I mean, that for
1: that comic, The Gunslinger, might just be the first book in comic form, but a lot of the later ones for right, sure okay. take place in the past and they are in canon. And things, is, the, is The
0: Stand with Dark Tower as well, or is that something else?
1: No, so The Stand, Stephen King's book The Stand, um, is another one of those stories that gets referenced. So there's a part in the third book of the series where they end up in the Kansas of Earth of The Stand. So it's all decimated from the virus and stuff. So they touch into that world and come back
0: out of it and things. But there's this weird king shared universe as well, isn't there? In terms of like you were saying, Shine for the Shining. So those films aren't officially stories aren't officially connected but it's like they are by the are yeah. clearly set in the same world yeah. Like, yeah
1: so some two some like you know two different examples in in the film of course there's little hints like there's the overlook hotel is a, in a picture on the shrink's desk right um the kids having the shine of course and then the hints to pennywise in the abandoned theme park
0: yeah um, when that we when they went in there i was like oh is this gonna be pennywise oh so what the fuck well that yeah. was a nice touch
1: that kind of theme park era because it like the whole thing with midworld is that it's post 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 apocalyptic in a way. So Roland there saying I don't even know what this place is, but right. it's obviously from a long ago time. Yeah yeah yeah. Um, but other examples in the books along with them ending up in the stand for a little while is Father Callahan who is the priest from Salem's Lot shows right. up as a main character in the fifth fifth book and a bit of the sixth I think. So he kind of after his adventures in the book of Salem's Lot Ended up dying and ended up in Midworld and carries on the story in there. So that's a direct link. Um, but this is another reason why I think the series is inherently uh, unadaptable. Uh, not just because of the the scale, because obviously you as a f-
0: film, or do you think as a TV series it will work?
1: TV series maybe, but I mean, there's just inherently weird stuff, and it kind of crosses genre. Um, you know, it's a big scale, I and mean, we can see that Lord of the Rings can work on screen and Game of Thrones mm-hmm. and stuff. But it's just like it crosses so many different genres. So there's things like giant robot bears and there's stuff, you know, there's stuff like um, just intellectual property. So there's a whole element in the fifth book where it becomes a kind of uh Seven Samurai story for a while where there's these bunch of raiders who kind of raid this town every so years and steal their kids. And the main characters end up there and trying to help out. And the raiders are robots who are dressed like Dr. Doom using lightsabers and throwing exploding snitches from Harry Potter. And the idea is that these three pop culture elements have kind of seeped through from our world into there and they've kind of adapted it and stuff. And it's like, no, you, can't, no. you can't put
0: that on screen. Well, unless, uh, yeah, unless you ready Player One want it and yeah. somehow manage to get the uh, IP for everything. T-
1: towards the end, Stephen King turns up as a character. So they end up, like Father Callahan realises he was in a book called Sam's Lot and they, they go to Maine to save Stephen King because he's writing the Dark Tower books. And they end up having to save him from that car crash he had, that car accident that nearly killed him in the nineties. So he can, so he kind of seeps in for a bit, and it's just all all starting to sound very self. All the well that (laughs) that that part, yeah, that part does. Uh, But there's there's tons of stuff, you know, there's Western elements, horror elements, sci-fi elements, uh, multiple dimensions, time travel. It's like it's got kind of everything. And in the books, it works because it's so gonzo and it's so well seeded. And like I said, if you tried to do a book by book adaptation of films, it wouldn't quite work because each one's so different. But the fourth book is almost entirely an extended flashback to Roland's youth, which is the focus of the new TV series they are making, which we'll get back to, I think. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as TV maybe. So, I mean, it's, it's tricky because you have to kind of change stuff if you put it on screen. Yeah, of course. You and are, yeah. I'm, I was totally fine with that. but everything they've changed has been for like the wrong reasons and that there's ways of doing it in which you are true to the story and not just doing it half-assed or throwing in the towel or
0: I don't know. Uh, what do you think of Idris Elba as the gunslinger and Matthew McConaughey as the Man in Black uh, of their performances rather than the interpretations of the characters? Yeah,
1: no, these were two of my like points. I thought okay. they are both really good because Roland is like, He's really kind of insular and gruff and tough. And he has, you know, he's a very stoic character. who You can tell has a lot of internal conflict. And obviously in books, you get a lot of that because it's first person writing and stuff. But Elba's kind of performance here really did nail it. I must admit, I missed him not having the hat because he's very kind of iconically has a proper cowboy hat. He looked a bit weird without it. But the rest of his costume, the rest of his performance is incredible. And one of the things I do like very much about the film is how they visually... Uh, portray his insane gun abilities.
0: Oh, the mental thing where he's like throwing bullets up in the air and then whacking his gun. Because over the course of the
1: books, you really do learn that, you know, the gunslingers in this world are like the mythical knights of the round table for guns, basically. So they, and the things he does in the books is like insane, sharp shooting, really cool stuff. And you're like, wow. And I'm so glad they didn't just Try and show that by going. Oh, look! He can quick draw really fast, and that's it. They actually it showed... he was
0: doing. Yeah, actually, was like a mental. Yeah, like you dropping the bullets do in, real life. in and, yeah, yeah. and
1: rolling the the barrel over the things to reload. Like they were really cool, and they were great subtle effects. Like yeah, no, they did look quite nice. Yeah. And McConaughey as well. Like you say, he's his uh, kind of like southern drawl charm
0: and the all ways right, he's just right. Right. that worked really well i really like both of them yeah i, I mean i gotta say like speaking of someone has no investment in the characters whatsoever uh, i mean i love elba anyway yeah but, i mean i genuinely like i always love him we like, should say much, he's our also. other star trek connection here uh, yeah actually that's very true i mean yeah he's not um i say he's not significant enough uh, for us to do a film just because, it was, I mean, if he was, I'd be like, right, we'd we'll do all five seasons of Lufa next episode. Uh, but he is, of course, the bad guy in Star Trek mm-hmm. Beyond, uh, so there is he is still like a big connection, and I, I think he's pretty much always amazing. Um, one of the things annoying things about Star Trek Beyond is I cannot believe they covered that guy under loads of prosthetics for an entire movie. It's like, how can you cover up this money? <laughs> um, but I, I kind of think he, as an actor, is effortlessly cool. Yeah, and he worked in this, Yeah, huh? he worked for you. Yeah, this, yeah, effortlessly badass. He's got charisma for days. He obviously he's hampered by bad script here in terms of, or like, you not, not a great script, quite a clunky script. But he's always fucking cool. And I think, to be honest, I think still coming across as cool and badass when you're dealing with some clunky dialogue and stuff mm. is an achievement in terms because that can often kind of bring someone down and make them look stupid but he's so fucking cool that he makes it work and like you say the kind of the gun stuff Elba has a great physicality to yeah. him and so it is it is impressive McConaughey I also thought was really good like the moment he appeared straight away I was like he's got a great face, yeah, and like literally, I it just one that one moment of him stepping out from the shadows. I was like, that kind of tells you everything you need to know about that character. You can picture him as like the devil seeping into all these other stories and being yeah. like immortal. And I think with him, I, I do think his performance on the base level was good. I feel like he was even more badly hampered by yeah. elements around him. So he's attempting to like shout at henchmen, and yeah, the script obviously. Yeah. Uh, the costume I'm interested to see what you think about the costume, because obviously he's the man in black, so I presume he is meant to dress in black and stuff. Like, <laughs> however, like, looking D V like he DV. looked like <laughs> such a throwback from like the seventies and so, like isn't he wearing leather trousers? I think so. Like he's got kind of the the open, kind of billowy kind of shirt. I swear he almost got like, oh, I swear he's got an Austin Powers style, like male symbol, <laughs> like necklace <Netflix laughs> and him or like You know, he, he looks just so very typical bad guy of that era, kind mm. of thing. Like, you know, and you're just kind of like, ah, he just looks bad. Yeah. But yeah, and also. CGI flame hand oh yeah that CGI they can't flame get it looking right can they terrible I was like what is this the 1994 Roger Corman Fantastic <laughs> Four but like with the animated flame hand that's what it looked like it looked fucking terrible like because uh, there's a scene where there's a guy dying on the floor and as he's dying he leans in because the guy's like praying to God or something and he goes like like about like God and he the way he does it is really chilling and dark and you're like oh that's really cool but then his cgi flame hand comes on it completely ruins the atmosphere and there's a bit at the end where he's doing this really stupid thing where he's bringing up like cgi rocks in front of him to stop the gunslinger's bullets oh my god it looks like dog shit like the cg looks really bad yeah. and it just and I just felt sorry for McConaughey having to stand there, kind of, you know, flipping his hands around, be like, "Oh, look at me with these CGI rocks. Like, you know, I mean, he must have felt like such an arse doing that. Like, yeah, that's the tough thing, isn't it? When you have to kind of truncate a
1: film and then by default your bad guy becomes more of a movie typical bad guy. It's like that. Because in the books he's always kind of... He's just this mythical figure who's always kind of one step ahead. So they kind of catch up to him every now and then and he's there to screw them over and move on. Like, I swear him and will never really have a proper fight. Um like the main bad guy only really shows up in the final book and isn't even the man in black like he's always kind of the architect of mischief he's kind of like the joker figure coming in and out and you you get a sense of their rivalry in that way in the way that they're never quite on the same page he's always one step ahead and here of course they have to just be like well we need to have them face off and so let's just have wizard magic versus gun skills and see how it goes
0: yeah, I mean, I did like the whole thing of he can catch the bullets like really easily. Yeah, that right? looked I pretty say. cool. He, just, yeah, he did. <laughs> like, straight away, when he, he tries to shoot him in the back at the start after he's killed Dennis Hasbert, he literally just catches them straight away and they're like nothing to him. And I thought it was a really cool thing of he has to trick him at the end, essentially, to be able to kill him. Yeah. Um, and again, with, with Dennis Haysbert, that was really chilling where he was just like, stop breathing and like just killed him like that. <laughs> that was really, really harsh. Um, so, yeah, I, again, I thought he was really yes. good, but I thought he was really hampered. Like I, I read some reviews where they really sagged off his performance, and I genuinely think that yeah, is, not, that's that. not down to him. I think if both these actors, if you put them in a good version of this film, would have sung. Like, like both been re- actually still really good casting. Talking about casting, we should say that you said there is a TV version happening and they cast a white guy in the Gunslinger
1: role? I believe so, yes. Because I think uh, Jerome Flynn is his dad. Oh, uh, well, it could still like, he could still be
0: black? Yeah, but no, I mean
1: because I think so, I have seen this. It's a guy oh, from EastEnders. Right, okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh right, for who's from EastEnders is
1: in there. I can't remember, but they like to pinch him sometimes, not
0: <laughs> 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 As young Roland, is it Daddy
1: Dyer? No, Daddy
0: Dyer is the guy. No, some
1: young twenty-five-year-old, because yeah, like like I said, uh, the new TV version looks to be an adaptation of Book Four, which is the flashback story. Um, so it's okay. kind of separate from the main plot. So it could sound on its own, or I wonder if they would even try to link it to anything else or carry on.
0: Well, this is what annoys me about this because, like we're saying, two of the things that are good about this are McConaughey and Alba, and to me, this screams a bunch of Hollywood coked-up execs in a meeting room going, "Oh, we tried this with a black lead, and it." failed big time in the box office so now let's get a white guy in and it'll all be okay totally ignoring the fact that all the problems of this were script based and production based like nothing to do that they just they, that may not be the case but that's what it feels like you know what yeah. i mean like that's really what it feels comes across especially i tell you what especially if it ends up being crap again uh, like uh you know what i mean like who's what's the what's the channel I have no idea, I haven't really looked much into it, but I think they are
1: almost filming, so it's kind oh, of... Oh, right, the they really are, like they've, like cast, the head. they've cast Susan Delgado, who is the kind of love interest at the heart of this flashback story. They've cast her, um, but it's going to be interesting because it's like, you know, I, I really don't want it to link to this film.
0: Well, it doesn't sound like... Well, I don't junior, think it, why I don't it? Think it yeah, will. Yeah, yeah. But
1: at the same time, it's almost like that Wizard in Glass flashback story kind of works because it comes four books in. I don't think you can really start with it and have it mean the same. Well, so they've
0: taken a fascette story from later and gone, we'll reposition this as a prequel. Yeah, so it's interesting if their plan is to then
1: do the story after this straight... Or if a plan with the movie was originally to just start doing the movies and eventually get to this flashback, which I think was the case with the film, wasn't it? There was plans of the HBO spin-off, like, accompany them and and then go back to movies.
0: Well, not with the version we ended up with. That, That thing was when Ron Howard, because Ron Howard at one point was directing. And when Ron Howard was directing, the plan was to do a movie followed by TV miniseries followed by movie. Yeah. Um, which sounded very ridiculously
1: ambitious to me. Um, yeah. But, but I heard it as movie, TV series season one, movie, TV series season two, movie.
0: Yeah, something like that. Which <laughs> are, I just. Things like that, I just don't think it works. It's two different formats. I think it often just feels really clunky. There's very few. Like, even. Like, for instance, the Marvel uh, TV shows. Yeah. All of those were meant to be essentially set in the MCU. Uh, So Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. often referenced events that were going on in the movies uh, quite directly. Like, literally, I think there's an episode, the episode that was released just before Age of Ultron came out. Like, is the very end of the episode, is Coulson... Looking at the situation that they start Age of Ultron with, right. and going call the Avengers, <laughs> and that leads directly into the film. And the, of course, the Netflix Marvel Netflix shows were meant to be set in the same world, but as it went on, see, they can't kind of build a rod for their own backs because they wanted to do their own super dark kind of like version. And at first, they were very much making direct reference to the first Avengers film and stuff like that. And then as it went on once all those shows got beyond their first season there were no mentions of the old and then by the time you got to Endgame there were loads of people making that joke of why aren't the Defenders there (laughs) like yeah are they waiting their portal hasn't just opened (laughs) because it felt weird now they'd established those characters in that universe for them not to be pulled through into it Okay, but it was because they'd obviously decided to kind of divorce themselves yeah. from those versions. And so, to me, it's just that kind and of let's stuff. let's be
1: honest, Luke Cage would be more of a help in the final battle than fucking Hawkeye. Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, you know, so, you know, I mean, all those guys are doing... Yeah. Cage and Jones, both, like, superpowered; They could have killed Iron Fist, <laughs> yes, nice and easy. You know, everyone loves Daredevil. Great.
1: if the if you know we've been hearing about all these Netflix show cancellations and a run up you know throughout this year and then it gets to Endgame and all four of them get killed in that and it's like
0: oh okay yeah well, mate, well but the thing is I you know that film was the ultimate bit of fan service and I that bit where Doctor Strange turns around and goes have we got everyone I think everyone every major geek in the cinema thought. Right, another portal's go open. Here come and uh, I. When I was watching it, when he went, and we got everyone. It's like whoosh, port opens. Netflix heroes step through. That's what you presume. And also, what and even you know, ages of Shield was still going on at that point, everything like that, and still like Coulson. There's still that weird thing where Coulson was killed off in the first Avengers film. And then they brought him back to that TV series. He's never referenced any of the films after that. I think they want people who
1: only have watched the films, to just still believe he's dead.
0: Yeah, 100%. Like, well, because it. (laughs) Imagine if he'd stepped through a portal and they all turned around and went wait a minute you didn't get snapped you died <laughs> ages ago he's like what who <laughs> are we avenging anymore like, forget it the team's disbanded. <laughs> yes, yes that's it What's it was formed room? on a <laughs> lie. You, you fooled us all Fury like uh, yeah no so I don't think necessarily that would work but no you know. and yeah also with this new series if it does do well and they
1: then want to get to the stories they're going to have to just recast because everyone's deliberately young because it's a flashback Yeah. so it would exactly. just be all new cast yeah, 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 yeah. so I reckon it's just going to be wizards and glass and done probably
0: well, Which I seems guess... seems strange,
1: but it seems really weird, because imagine making a show that's just the contextual flashback from a big story, and making that all there is. It's, it's well, so I- if they do,
0: and it's successful, and it makes money, Matt, it, there will be more. <laughs> like, you know, that, that's need, the thing. need to know what... People... Is, like, is there any reason for any Game of Thrones prequel spin-off series to exist? No. And yet... We live in a world where the first one of those is filming right now. So, what's that about? Isn't it about just the history of like the Tigerian family or something? I think it's
1: the from like a thousand years ago when the war was formed. No one, no one cares.
0: No one cares. Like literally, who gives a fuck? Like, is that? Don't get me wrong. It might be great. Uh, Jane Goldman is behind it. Mm-hmm. Very respected mm-hmm. uh, screenwriter. Big fans. Big but fan. uh, what well, is the inherent problem with prequels? Yeah, this
1: is the thing. So that's why Wizarding Glass works, because they give you the prequel story in the middle of the current story. So it's not just like... And it
0: contextualises things before you know what actually happens at the end. Yeah, then it's a thing of it's more of... It's a flashback contextualising something. And the
1: whole thing is, for the first three books, Roland is very, like, not giving anything away. And and the human characters who join him Mm. are trying to figure out what this guy's deal is. And then by the time he gets to that, he kind of sits them down and tells them his tragic
0: tale. And you learn... All the stuff about it. If you start with it, then that's a very good point, actually. Because perfect example: uh, the Godfather saga, mm. where they mm-hmm. re-edited the Godfather films to put them in yeah. chronological order. So they put De Niro's flashbacks from Godfather Part Two at the beginning. And for me, that would fuck everything up because the reason that they feel significant is you go that smiling Brando from the first film, who we saw die in the first movie and they found a way of bringing his character back into the second film and having that presence now played by other great actor Robert De Niro and we're seeing him as a young man and how he came to be which directly parallels uh, Al Pacino's journey that's going on. So if you reposition that instantly doesn't make sense that's they, because that's why that's meant to be there yeah it's not just going like oh that's a that's completely random that we decided yeah. it, it, it is per, repurposed to make it so it parallels the other story that's going on yeah
1: decisive placements of narrative are there for parallels you move yeah. it you lose the parallel it just becomes plot yeah exactly yeah so
0: or, or another example you've seen Firefly right yes yeah yeah so with that the two-part pilot at the time when the show was going out the XX thought the two-part pilot was too like slow or whatever so they repositioned the two-part pilot and put it halfway through the series as a flashback special and then got (laughs) them to make a new pilot episode uh, which is called like the train or something and put that out as the first episode and then halfway through you get that obviously when it was released on DVD they flipped it back round to have it the proper way but I mean, that's mad in terms of going like, so you get an episode which was rewritten to make it seem like a sort of pilot and then go back and have the actual pilot later on. Like, it just... These kind of decisions are only made by people who only care about money rather than story. Yeah, exactly.
1: and The idea of networks or places, you know, channels putting out shows in wrong orders now is insane. Imagine, like going, oh, I'm going to watch the pilot of this new season, new series to see what it's all about. And then you know that they've given you episode five instead. You'd be like, what the hell am I watching?
0: Talking about money over story, that brings us back to this film. <laughs> 2017's The Dark Tower. <laughs> uh, which, yeah, I mean... It is so, so simplified. Like, I don't need to read the books to know it is simplified. I can see, like, the pile of Dark Tower books in your flat and go, yes, that is clearly a very, very simplified version. Because this is so, like, tab A into slot B, isn't it? it? It's literally, like I said, it's a classic good versus evil narrative with nothing else. Like, you know, it literally is that. And the film is under 90
1: minutes... I, I looked, and the moment that it goes to black and says "directed by blah blah, blah, blah eighty-four minutes in.
0: Eighty-four minutes. So, I mean, it really is short, kind of thing. Like, and it is—you know—it has—it is
1: pacing. It's like they truncated it too much and it was like oh shit we've gone this basic yeah this only fills this and the thing is I reckon there there probably is a way a better way of just doing the truncated into one film version but it's not what they choose to do here I think that's where it's annoying Mm. like my number one preference would be straight adaptation which I understand is crazy and probably wouldn't work so number two if you're going to do the adaptation that works as a film and kind of condenses stuff Fine, there's a version of that that probably works. Again, this isn't it. So it's not my problem that this is what the film's trying to do. It's that it does it so bad. And yep. then there's this, which is just a truncated version that's also making all the wrong choices of what it's trying to be and coming out compromised, not only as an adaptation, but as a singular film. Mm. And so it's
0: just stuff happening for a while. But like I say, it's, it's a weird thing where I was watching it and going, because I haven't read the books, even though I could see all these things that were pretty plain to see, At the same time, I was enjoying it to a certain extent just as a really simple kind of beer and pizza movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, I actually thought in terms of what it was doing, if you literally removed the idea of the books from your head and watched it just as a simple blockbuster film... I actually thought it was perfectly kind of enjoyable, pacey, satisfying little film. It was, it was trash. Mm. Like you could tell it was trash, but in that kind of, it wasn't, I didn't watch this and go, it wasn't like, go see something like mile 22 or Godzilla King of Monsters where you go, this is genuinely like feels badly made. Like there's decisions that you're making here, which make the film look fucking shit. And really <laughs> incoherent and stuff like that, like the bad editing. Like actually, as a just movie, considering you could tell yeah. there'd been lots of cut on the cut and floor, it was reasonably coherent, reasonably well told, and I could like just enjoy it as just a very plain
1: narrative. Yeah. The problem is it's like 10 steps away on the scale from being a good film, but it's also two steps away in the other direction from being so bad it's good <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: it's, it, it's not the quite thing. there and it's not over it there it's so. not so bad it's a good film there are little there are little bits of that like the sh- catapulting the children into tar- tar, that, 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 that are in because clearly that's not what's happening but they make it look like that. that's what's happening yeah. on the screen and also there's uh, <laughs> there's a thing where you know the weird skin people who reminded me of uh, Vincent D'Onofrio in Men yeah, in Black yeah, yeah. Uh, where it's kind of like they've got it's the their skin is sort of like a ma- fake mask. They're, 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 like, like, they're, like, like, they're like rat people. Like the Whisperers in the Walking Dead or something where they've put like a fake like, yeah. mask over them. And there's a bit where they come to try and... Uh, they get the... They try and kidnap the kid or try and kill the parents. And uh, yeah, isn't it like they come to take the kid away? In New York? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They come to... Don't they pretend to, yeah, yeah. that they're like social services or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they turn up. And I mean, his parents in this movie, worst parents ever, they're, they're so a awful performances as well. Like, really, they just feel completely disengaged, disinterested in their child, yeah. plus the material they're working
1: with. Don't, don't forget the kid playing his best friend, who I thought was awful. I can't even remember him. He's just, he's got some really flat line readings, poor guy. Uh, it's like, like, he's just like,
0: oh, hello. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, when they turn up, What you look at get a look at their hands and their hands look like dead, they look like dead zombie hands or something. (laughs) Like the mum's like, Oh, look, you've got to go with these guys now. Like, have you (laughs) realized they've got a zombie hand when you shook their hand or something? Like, (laughs) literally, these guys are so obviously evil demons. Like, you are the worst worst parents of all time. Uh, (laughs) there's some really weird right wing like gun jokes in this as well where uh he's talking about do they have guns on your planet when he's gonna come over to the real world and he's like you're gonna like earth a lot like is it because we've got loads of guns and bullets baby time, Woo, yee-haw. like yeah it just really it's like don't worry like we're not going to uh we're not getting the states where guns are
1: outlawed <laughs> but even then it doesn't turn into like the Terminator or something where it's like you know, future Terminator slash other world Roland ends up in our world and ends up picking up giant Uzis or something instead of no. his gun. It's like, so he, he's, he's still, still using his
0: own He's still got so. his normal gun. Well, I suppose they're better, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Like, they're, they're, he just needs the bullets. They're, they're literally made from like,
0: the, Arthur's sword. That's yeah, how mystical yeah, He, it he is. just, he just needs plenty of bullets. Yeah. Yeah. He? So his he's whole right point right of you're going to love our world is lots of guns wasted on him. Well, he says, <laughs> he says, he's, uh, it's what it is Bullets are rare Where he comes from isn't mm. And he's like Bullets are rare On your planet He's like No way man we got <laughs> fucking Loads of bullets You won't take <laughs> Our guns away <laughs> uh, Yeah When he comes over He sort of Has that Slightly amusing Fish out of water Kind of stuff That happens In these type of films Yeah That like at least was quite fun Last action hero yeah. The first four film But they don't really Play into it enough Because everything's So short Mm. So, like, in, you know, in 4, you get that really, like, funny, like, another, like, and all that, whereas they have a funny bit in this, where there's a girl, like, who comes on to, like, Elba's character, and he turns around to her, he's like, you've forgotten the faces of your father, (laughs) like, (laughs) uh, and and that was really funny in terms of, like, he's so weird going, like, yeah, but plus, obviously, gorgeous Cedrus Elba. And um, they could have played into that more and yeah they really don't they just kind of go ah oh, right okay, we've done the fish out of water gag now let's, <laughs> let's move on because we've got to move on because we've only got 15 minutes left of the film <laughs> like, yeah, it's like we've got to get to the gun shop going <laughs> right yes yeah, so they can have this big uh, fight Tom Taylor as the uh, main kid what did you think of him uh, How did he compare to like Jake in the books and stuff? Yeah, he was all
1: right. Like I think Jake in the books is a bit younger. Obviously, it's hard to go too young in movies and things. Um,
0: yeah, he young, was he was good, young.
1: but he, you know, he's. I don't know. I think by refocusing it to be about him, what they've done is basically made the film The Matrix. Okay, because <laughs> it's that thing of like last action
0: hero meets. The yeah, Matrix, it's yeah. like
1: he's in the real world, but oh, there's another world, and you go back, and you're one thing and another, and it's kind of discovering that. So he's kind of like that's where that's coming from. But no, Jake, he's
0: um, he's pretty chill about the fantasy world. Isn't yeah, because he? he's so defined by what happens to him in the first book of being dropped to his death on purpose. Um, that Did when you-, you think that the gunslinger holding him over the cliff top. Uh, at one point, was a reference to that. Like, as in, we're not actually... Like, make fans think that he's about to do it.
1: Yeah, I think that was maybe a cheap one, because obviously the context of that scene... Isn't about him dropping off a cliff. He's just arguing with him.
0: No, but he's just just, he's just doing him it over. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, when I saw that, I was, like, oh, is this the thing where he's going to throw him off? Like, you know uh, what?
1: I think I think you might be right. And I didn't even think that when watching it. Because uh, okay, no, no,
0: it's no. so because you're that's the thing. It's so divorced, yeah, from the actual emotion of the scene yeah. that you're used to. So all I knew was a basic thing of like, oh, at one point he drops that kid off a cliff because you told me before, <laughs> well, and I and I was just like, oh, this is obviously <laughs> meant to it. be that bit no. going. But yeah.
1: I mean the whole heart of like the books is their group as a family. So and you know, Jake's very much kinda of like the kid of the family. And so without that family unit as context, it's hard to kind of know where you are with him when it's just those two. And just those two relationships are really good. And in this film I think it's I think it's okay, but it's too much of just like, you know, plot 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 and Jake kind of knowing what to do too much I think it's it's no
0: well I thought he was quite good I've got to say I thought he was a a decent audience surrogate character Mm. Um, and also when he comes back and finds his parents dead I thought his performance was really strong there um, where he was showing the emotion the problem is his mum was a dickhead and we don't care (laughs) So that, that's the one. Like, I'm glad he, she's actually... He has to make us care a bit in that scene. I, think like, I really thought he was, he was very good there. Um, yeah, so it kind of builds up to a sort of open ending Uh, with Jake and the Gunsinger teaming up. And he actually says, like, oh, I'm going to train you up to be a Gunsinger, basically. And they go off to do that together. Is that something in the books, like he's going to train him to become a gun singer? Well,
1: yeah, it's kind of, you know, he's kind of teaching them all on the path to being gunslingers because of their 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 destined, you know they're like they're bond together so i can see it's a weird thing of the film where it's kind of like it it seems to wrap a lot up definitively by apparently killing the man in black although my instincts would be that he's not dead but also setting up like oh if those two go off together Roland and jake they might run into eddie and susanna and the rest in film too you know but it's almost like they skipped to the end plot-wise in terms of what was happening with the breakers trying to take down the tower. So if they carried on, I, I guess, are they still just trying to get
0: back to that point later on? Like, it's weird. Like Who it, knows? It would have to be something completely different. Well, yeah, they'd have to bring in a new antagonist or bring the man in Black Threat from the dead, which, is there hints of him coming back from the dead at the end? That's I mean, not, are? not really in the film that I no. could see, but, you know, he's a wizard, so... yeah. Doesn't matter. Plus, I didn't really understand how he tricked him into killing him anyway, because there, there was so much terrible CG going <laughs> with the car, kind for of, the bullets and the CGI rocks and stuff like that. And people oh, f- do you not f- tell him. what happened? Well, he, I, I just t- told that he kind of tricked him into not being able to catch the bullet. When no, no, it happened. no. He, um, so he fires one bullet, right? And that's the one he goes to catch, right? And then Ronan
1: fires another bullet into the wall that bounces off. Oh, it did. Hits into that one and knocks it out of the way of his hand into his uh, chest. Oh,
0: right. Okay. It's a little convoluted, yeah, but very, you, can, you can see it. Very yeah. convoluted. And um, because there's so much shitty CG, I just found yeah. it a bit kind of disorientating to so like, what's he doing? Uh, it was that thing of, and it also, it felt too easy for me in terms of yeah, considering you this just guy. Shot your bad guy. Well, yeah, because I was like, "This guy's meant to be what? Yeah. Like most powerful wizard? It's like, or yes, it was, a, it was a super tricky trick shot you pulled off, but you have just shot your bad guy. Yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> that's the thing. It was the case of when he got shot, and just died instantly. When he did that, I was like, oh, can you just be killed by bullets then? Like because he caught bullets earlier. So number one, I was like, how did he catch bullets earlier? Because surely there was shot through his hand. If he can. Like, yeah. Well, he's I... magically slowing and grabbing him, I guess. Right. Like, okay. It's all just magic. The, but then why does why was he putting rocks in front of him to stop the bullets? If he yeah. just catch them? <laughs> What's going on? Um, so yeah, I didn't really get all that. Um, but that kind of you know brings us to the end. Final thoughts. What did you think of this film, Matt? You go first as you're the one who's a big fan of the books and stuff.
1: Uh,
0: I, yeah, I don't like
1: it at all. It, okay. it's, it's frustrating for many reasons because there are things out I, like. I quite like the score. I think there's some interesting uh, musical elements in there. I quite like the design. I like the two main performances. Um, but just hate the way they've attempted to adapt. And the thing is, there's, there's a perfect kind of... Layup here in, in, in a cheap get out which is kind of hinted at so basically without spoiling the books there's a way that the books end which means you can tell the story again with differences and basically do your own thing with it still being almost a canon sequel in a way and that's hinted at here but they've just squandered every choice to do anything interesting um, so that's a real shame I think just the fact that for the longest time especially for fans of the series it just looked like this film would never happen it was always in talks it was always in talks and then by the time it got into ron howard's hands and it was going to be javier bardem as Roland, then russell crowe as Roland, it was like maybe this will happen and then by the time it finally comes around and they've squandered it so badly to the point where you think they'll never even attempt this again the fact that they are with a new series is mind-blowing and then the fact that what they're doing with that series also sounds like it could be disappointing is so frustrating um and I just think it's kind of maybe for the case of this one just shouldn't be attempted because for all the reasons and more that I said earlier, it's just so hard to put down in any coherent way. And it's frustrating as someone who has read the books because you know that there's a lot of really meaty thematic drama in there and stuff, you know, to rival all the rings and Game of Thrones and even the smaller stories in amongst all the nuttiness. And you just have to have faith to get past the big stuff to see the small stuff. And the hints of that here are quite nice, but I just, yeah, it's it's a heartbreaker.
0: Just to say another Star Trek connection before oh, yeah. I get into my final thoughts, did you know that at one point back in 2007, this was going to be directed by J.J. Abrams? Oh,
1: see, that would
0: be yes. Yeah. Nice. Uh early February 2007, film adaptation of Dark Tower series was in the works. J.J. was going to direct with Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof. Uh, to write, I think. This is the thing. Lost was so inspired by Stephen King. And well, you have to think yeah. by the Dark Tower as well. Well, yeah. The Man in Black. Oh, like, well, that, that, yeah. <laughs> the, the, immediately, when I was watching it, first time round, because... Lost. No, no, this, this, this. Because his name's actually Walter. Isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. Walter, Walter, Walter Randall yeah. And I Martin. was watching it going even... Uh, I was catching myself going... Is he called the Man in Black? Or have I just thought he's called the Man in Black because he reminds me yeah. of Lost and with, the Man in Black and that? With Lost and the kind of character drama and then the huge metaphysical nuttiness of, like... Yeah, it island. really, really reminded me. I, I think it's definitely, clearly, heavily yeah. inspired by it. Oh, yeah. uh, by By that idea, because the, definitely the Man in Black character there seems, you know, similar yeah. to this one. Oh, man, but, yeah.
1: yeah. I think the Lost team, with a complete narrative for them to work from would have done
0: something great. King said he was an ardent supporter of Lost and trusted Ape pounds to translate his vision into a film franchise. Um, and yet, so it looks like that went on for quite a while, like a couple of years. Uh, they were looking to do that, uh, but it just didn't seem to get off the ground in the end. And mm. uh, I think, yeah, I think in the end, he said it was just too tricky to adapt uh, in two thousand nine, you said the Dark Tower thing is tricky. The truth is that Dame and I are not looking at that right now, so I guess they just kind of went. Eh, it's too too much. It's not working, and um, it is hard. I and know. I think they saw it as a big commitment as well to basically because they wanted to adapt all of the books, um, like do the entire thing. And I think possibly at one point it was potentially a TV series with them. I think they just fought after Lost. This is too much of a massive commitment to leap into this. And so then eventually it went into the hands of Ron Howard. And uh, yeah, and unfortunately it didn't have, Because I, I can totally imagine them doing this. Yeah. As like a TV show, that that team, I think, would have done it really well. And coming out the gates and saying, right, we've done something really weird of Lost. Let
1: us do something else weird where let's just do a book per season, but it's going to be a strange progression of story you just going to have mm. to be with it and if they get that kind of season order to
0: have to get that far yeah it could be a commitment they could do but Lost proved that they could do that because I mean both you and me are massive apologists yes. for Lost which a lot of people kind of like to spread the narrative that it really went off the boil the people these but, days who still go
1: oh Stu so did the whole time yeah, drives oh, God me insane, insane.
0: It, it, that that mistake like drives me insane. People going who haven't... i literally wrong. Either didn't watch... Usually it's people who didn't watch Lost. Yeah. But I have met people who did watch it to the end. And because of the dickhead, sorry, actually believe that. In terms of believe that they are all dead at the end. It's a purgatory thing. I'm like, no, 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 no. It, everything on the island happened and then when they eventually die when they eventually die they're all together the idea is the purgatory is the sideways universe in the last season season which is all of them getting together and having it's the fact that they can't move on until they're all together because of this thing they shared. And the fact that people don't get that drives me (laughs) fucking nuts. But the thing about Lost is what I was gonna say is they really do, especially as it goes on display such a batshit insane narrative that only gets more and more mental as it goes with kind of time travel elements coming in and stuff like that which to me feels really deliberate in terms of they go on and go yeah more and more insane not in terms of they're losing their minds just in terms of they're going, yeah, we can do whatever we want I'll Yeah, really push this to the brink. And by the end, it's kind of its most kind of deep fantasy level, with the man in black inhabiting John Locke and everything like that. And pos- elements of possession and all that yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. That, yeah, to me, I just think those guys would have been perfect. But well, it's zero. come full
1: circle, because didn't you think, you know, at the start of this film, when you see the little village where they're holding the
0: kids it's like the others yeah it's like the compound. others village yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 so there's definitely a big element with that Um yeah so for me this is a weird one where I obviously haven't got the weight of expectation because mm-hmm. I haven't read the books uh, but I, it was very very obvious to me that this was a hugely truncated simplified version of a clearly denser text uh, however separating it as I think you kind of have to as a film, um, but I understand completely why that's far harder to do yeah. if you're a massive fan of something, which I you know I've totally uh, been guilty that. There's there's <laughs> your Walking of, Dead and Preacher Hate. Yeah, like, yeah. there's loads of T V series uh adaptations of beloved comic books of uh mine which I can't get on with. And it's not that they're I don't think that The Walking Dead is a terrible TV show. I don't think that Preacher is a terrible TV show, but for me, they may as well be terrible because like, they're just not right. Yeah, they're not. They're not the stories that I read and loved, and as adaptations, I think they ultimately fail. Even though they might be perfectly enjoyable TV shows on their own, and this, I was like. Yeah, I can see all these kind of, like, problems with it. And it's certainly in no way, you know, there's no artistry to this film, hugely, or anything like that. However, as totally a throwaway, it reminded me of the kind of thing you just grab off the VHS shelf, like, back in the 80s or something. Like, yeah, when you're in the video shop era of just a really simple... 90 minute like it felt like a blockbuster to me from like the 80s like yeah it's like, like a never bygone, ending story or... yeah, yeah 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 yeah. it totally felt like a really bygone age uh, of just a simpler fare and for what it was I did enjoy it to a certain extent like, like I say, I thought McConaughey was good I thought Elba was good um, I think there's some fun stuff in it I really like Junkie XL's score actually yeah does great work obviously Mad Max Fury Road uh, fantastic score Uh, Brothers in Arms I believe someone said was the greatest piece of film score ever written recently (laughs) I don't quite agree with that but it is fucking amazing Uh, and yeah he does a great job and I did enjoy it therefore that is going to come into it when rating this film now we do stars out of five can use half stars this is based (laughs) on our love of a fantastic movie website called Letterboxd which we're both members of if you search Liam H. Dempsey on Letterboxd you'll find me if you search Matt Brothers you'll find Matt they should definitely be pairless by now yeah I have a list on there with all the movies we've covered for spotlight of the movies so go and check that out I would give this two stars it is scraping two stars but I would give it Two whole stars <laughs> out of five, which is more than I thought wow. it would be. What about you? I give it one and a half. One and a half. Okay, so see, it's not too far away. The it's half point.
1: See, maybe if I if two stars my baseline starting point, it drops a whole star for cocking up the adaptation so much, and then gains half a star for the things I like: Elba, McCarthy, okay. the score. Um, I mean, the double-edged sword with where this film leaves you, regarding the books, is that it's either going to be so bad it'll put people off from ever touching them, which is a bad thing. Yes, that's a shame. But on the plus side, if you do delve in, it's going to be all new. It's going to be all different, basically. Shall
0: I tell you, as someone who hasn't read the books, how this movie made me feel about exploring them, it made me want to read the books. Oh, good. Genuinely, because... I, that's what I mean in terms of I don't think the film is so awful that you can't see the potential for greatness. Yeah. In terms of I watch this film and go, like you say, it's not crazy bad. It's not... I don't really think it's how did this get made bad level. Yeah. It's kind of... It's a perfectly reasonably competent kind of good versus evil story which you can tell there's a lot more to it and there's some very cool elements. Mm. So I watch it going oh, this kind of seems potentially cool, but I'd like it, I'd like to read a kind of bigger, more expansive version of this, and I know the books exist. Yeah. So now I'd like to go and check that you out. You just need to have somebody saying, oh, don't worry, the books aren't literally this. Yeah, I think it helps the fact that, obviously, I'm friends with you, you told me about the books, and the books sound a lot more interesting. Uh, so when I watched this, I went... But before I... but Funny enough, before I saw the film, I don't think I would ever got Around to read this, oh, okay. But maybe I'm going back to the film. Whereas now I watched the movie, that, that added into my head combined with what you said. I was like, Oh no, I can see it now, how it might be good, but it just isn't in this case. But I will uh, now, I think I will try and read the first book. That's quite a legacy, because... so there you go. Uh, so in the end, we're ending on a positive note. Uh, right, well, we will be back with another episode of Spotlight the Movies. At some point, we've still got tons of movies to cover. Uh, we've got a list of like 200 plus films uh, that we would like to potentially cover. At some point, we will also be doing more interviews uh, with people involved in the world of Star Trek, more episodes covering our journey to kind of become full Trekkies <laughs> at some point. So we will be back. Follow us at Spotlight Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook for all the latest news about what we're doing. Any kind of announcements. If we do uh, an interview uh, with someone, we always yep. post about it on there once we've done it. Um, always a good idea to wait until the interview is recorded until you announce <laughs> people. Just a little tip for Just any a tip. Uh, new burgeoning podcast out there. Uh, because you never know what might happen.
1: So yeah, thank you, Sai, praise the beam, all hail the Crimson King, we're done.